Hi guys, welcome back to Filmcraft. There's no yay clapping today, we're not on camera. That's kind of sad. I know, eh? It's like I was saying, now it's gone. Well, you kind of did it. Okay. Doesn't count though, doesn't count. Yeah. Alright, so yeah, this is part two of pre-production. This is where more crazy stuff goes down. It's actually been a couple weeks since we recorded the first episode of pre-production, so we just listened to the last ten minutes of it before starting this one. And a lot of crazy stuff went down, looking back at that. <laughs> We uh, we struggled through a lot, but we made it happen. So you know, props to us, I guess. It actually, sounds like we just made it up. It does. It's very like, and then this, and then this. It's like, if you were to meet someone at a party and they were to tell you that, you kind of wouldn't believe them. You'd be like, oh yeah, and then that, and then what happened after that? And they'd give you another thing. You'd be like, oh yeah, and more, and more. Kind well, of. It's like a competition. If someone's like, I got sick. Yeah. Well, I have burpees, and you just keep <laughs> leveling up. That's that's how last episode kind of ended. And now we're just gonna keep going with that. Yeah. Okay, so last one ended with I scrubbed my house with bleach because everyone had nanovirus. Yeah. And well, not everyone. Let's be modest here. Just I didn't a couple. Get it. Yeah, you, know, you did. I spent a lot of time in your house. Yeah, which is good because if you would have got it, it would have been right after me, and then you would have. Probably still been thrown up on the first and second day shooting. You know what? I remember I coming to your house and I had half a Subway sandwich. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll put this in the fridge and I'll eat it later. And then as soon as I found out everyone had nanovirus, I think I just left it in your fridge. <laughs> that was probably there for like the two weeks of filming. Yeah, too. definitely. I don't know what happened to it. I wonder if anyone ate it. I don't think so. I bet you Dylan ate it and that's why you got sick. <laughs> Dylan. We have some good Dylan stories once we get further into production. He's in the movie. You can watch the finished film and he's in there. He's the one that talks about shitting himself in Mexico. (laughs) Which is in the film. And it was ad-libbed. I just, I put him in front of a camera. He's like, well, what do you want me to do? I'm like, just say whatever you want. (laughs) And that's what he came up with. That was great. Okay, so pre-production. Part two. Part two, yes. So we just scrubbed the house. Woke up the next day and it was time to get the lights. I was, my head was still throbbing, like you wouldn't believe, like to the point where you couldn't focus on anything and to wa- you'd have to walk slower or else you felt like you were gonna fall over. And it's like, all right, well, let's get in the car and go get some lights. So you know, we drove to the equipment rental place and uh, what did we rent, Latif? Like I am not one for gear. knowing gear, and I'd largely turn to you. So tell everyone what we got and why. Yeah. In terms of, um, how do I say, volume, it actually wasn't a lot of gear because mm-hmm. we rented an Evo. Yeah, which is just a little car share. It's actually just a, a Prius. So, like, yeah, as much gear as you can fit in a Prius, which is basically nothing. Yeah, so all the gear would fit into a Prius. So, went to the gear house, and I specifically remember getting, like, four, four-foot Kino flow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Couple C stands, two was it two? Yeah, no, no, it was four C stands. Yep, and then two larger, four bank Kino flows. Obviously, all of them had daylight and tungsten bulbs, but that was the only um, lighting. I had a couple of my own personal lights, which was a seven hundred fifty watt tungsten uh, hot light, and then I had an LED, like two light thing and that was it Mm, which is great because that one's battery powered and you can take it pretty much anywhere set it up in a pinch and it works really well um explain to them for people that you know 
they're just trying to make a movie they haven't shot anything yet the difference in the bulbs and why you pick them right um, if you're new to lighting and all that camera stuff I pick specifically Kina flow tubes because they're very lightweight and you can kind of stick them wherever you want so we had jacks we screwed jacks into the ceiling which is basically just a piece of pipe yeah and I could just hang them off of the jacks which is what we did and the Kina flow tubes are very warm like they don't actually get very hot so we could have them close to the ceiling without burning anything and that's a very real thing you'll learn on a, in on a house yeah. <laughs> if you're working with lights that get really really hot and you put them near a ceiling you cook the ceiling so yeah. these ones were good in the sense we could leave them on for you know eight hours and we never had any worries we weren't going to burn the house down it's yeah. awesome and with these bulbs you can uh, select which tubes you want on so I could turn on one of the two tubes for each light and change the intensity. I didn't have a dimmer, but like having the select bank ones were really easy. Control your levels of light. Make little changes in the lighting. Mm -hmm. And then I had two light stands, so like our gear was actually super minimal. Yeah. A few extension cords, that's it. Yeah. And then a, two <laughs> silks, and then one diffusion circle thing mm -hmm. for my uh, own kit, but that's it. Yeah. So like, again, just for people that are starting out you touched in a previous episode about why you don't need tons of gear but could you just give an example of like a shot a shoot where you had a lot of gear and how easy or difficult it was compared to how easy or difficult it was to shoot party stories with a lot less gear i think it's making that transition especially for me because when i went to film school they would give you all the gear you wanted mm -hmm. for the shoots so every time we'd do a project, we'd kind of overload in gear and just have this cute van full of stuff. And half the time, we wouldn't use half the equipment. And a lot of the time on set was spent taking stuff out of the van, finding a place to put it, and then from there, like, figuring out what the hell you were going to use. So every mm -hmm. time you went to the gear stash, you'd look around and kind of, like, guess where everything was. Mm -hmm. But when you only have the very simple small kit like it's easy to pick what you want and jump onto set so having a huge amount of gear becomes a hassle because you have to find a place to put all the gear you have to watch it and protect it and this whole bunch of like extra time and people you'll need for larger amounts of uh, equipment on set mm -hmm. so i recommend like get a few lights you know test what you need in the in a space and um have like as you know few c stands and stuff like that as possible when you go on set a lot of people have like 10 15 c stands on set and they'll use like three at a time a dozen are lying around kind of dumb yeah so you know don't don't get too greedy be smart about like what you take out yeah and for example like with the gear uh shooting this feature um if you watch the finished film i have a little sunroom in the front of my house and it's probably i'm looking at it right now call it seven feet by five feet like it's a tiny tiny little room but all the gear we had could fit in there all combined with the sound gear like every piece of gear we had stayed in that room yeah. uh you know at times we'd be using it so it wasn't there but all the gear could fit in that room and then compare that to other shoots where you have that cube van it presents a lot more problems so for instance, you have all your gear inside, it's perfect, you don't have to worry about it. You have that cube van sitting outside, you always hear stories of where filmmakers get ripped off, you know, someone doesn't watch the van for an hour, someone goes, van's gone. You know, that's bad. We had, sh you know, well, obviously it's bad. <laughs> yeah. um, we had a shoot a couple of years back where we had, you know, cube van full of shit, and 
here's the thing, like, it's great when you're shooting because, you know, in the off chance you want this one unique thing, you can have it, you just go grab it, right? But you always have to have someone watching the van, and then at night you gotta figure out what to do with it. Like, I've heard stories of people, like, that would get PAs, and they're like, okay, just sleep in the van. That's all you gotta do. If someone tries to steal it, stop them from stealing it. That's your entire job. In our case, in that shoot a couple of years ago, like, we had a lockup where we drove our van across town, locked it up for the night, and then came back. Now, in terms of party stories, we talked about, like, how we had shortened shooting days, right? So we started filming at 5 when the sun down, went down. Everyone had to be gone by 1. Had we had a van sitting outside, mm -hmm. and we had to bring it back to this lockup, you know, we'd have to let everyone go at 11.30, pile all the stuff in the van, maybe even earlier, pile everything in the van, drive it to the lockup, and then get back here on public transit before yeah. one because, you know, we don't have drivers, we're, we're that small. So really, if we were to go overboard with that gear, it would have killed the entire shoot. For time. Yeah, yeah, and, like, I know that seems like, oh, man, you have gear, you're saying it would kill the shoot? Like, you guys are idiots, but, like, it's true. You don't want to have stuff like that. Yeah. Only roll with what you need, and when you have stuff sitting outside someone has to be looking for that out for that the entire time and you know you don't think about it but yeah over the course of a week of shooting someone looking after that gear 24 7 that's a lot of man hours right yeah. also um we had a like three or four practical lamps mm -hmm. and i actually use those as you know lights for for the set not just for you know um decoration decoration like that mm -hmm. we used them as lights on set so Get a couple practical lamps from like a thrift store for like five bucks a piece, I think. Value Village. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's tons of them, and you can kind of mix and match them, but those really work nicely on set because you can have them on camera mm -hmm. wherever you want, and they help light the scene. And yeah. you know, practicals are really nice to have. Yeah, and you could put like any kind of bulbs you want in too. I remember we bought bought one from Value Village. Yeah which I still have next to my bed right now. <laughs> I really like that lamp. <laughs> yeah, it's a great little lamp. And then, you know, we brought it back the bulb and it wasn't that great, so we just put something stronger in it. Yeah. And it happened to work on the second bulb, but you can just keep going like that. Yeah. Light bulbs are, what, $3? So, yeah. like, you got to try out three or four. It's 12 bucks. Who cares? You know what I mean? You're going to rent a light from a rental place. They're going to charge you 50 bucks 50 a week. Bucks for, yeah. So right there, you're saving money if it works, right? Yeah. Lamps, big deal. Yep, good stuff. And then, I guess... Uh, just go over like the camera gear we used as well, real quick. Uh, we shot the film on a Sony FS5, mm -hmm. which is a 4K camera, but we decided not to shoot in 4K. Yep. We only Files did 4K for a, a few shots, and the rest of it was in HD. Mm -hmm. um, Explain why we did that. Well, that was a choice that I made, because I knew for editing, it would just make the file sm uh, size much smaller. We'd go through the edit a lot faster, wouldn't, wouldn't have to transcode the footage. Um, which means just making a smaller format for editing purposes. But uh, it made everything just quicker. Like, you didn't have to worry about, like, memory cards running out because we could run a whole uh, day of shooting on one memory card, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, and, like, in terms of, we mentioned film shoots before, we had one where we shot something in 6K, and every hour, hour and a half, you have to offload that memory card, and it takes just as long to offload the memory card as it took to shoot the thing, right? So if you are you only have two memory cards, you know, your micro-budget film, then if you run one for an hour and a half, you're taking stuff off the other one, like you're constantly switching memory cards, and what if the download times uh, takes longer than, you know, it takes to shoot, then you have no memory cards for X amount of time until it's done uploading, and, you know, it just, it didn't make any sense. We didn't need that high quality at that point but you could get the image we wanted without it yeah man 
Yeah, and for first-time filmmakers, like, you might have a DP that has access to, like, a red camera or something, and, you know, they'll want to shoot in 6.5K, because I know some of the sensors, uh, the DPs want to shoot 6.5K because it doesn't crop the sensor or something, and they're worried about some quality loss, but I'm like, shut the hell up. <laughs> and I shot on a crappy DSLR for three years, and I had a piece of shit image, but I made it look nicer than most people. Mm-hmm. So when I got a slightly better camera, I wasn't like this like crazy freak about like detail and resolution. At least have a piece of crap cameras and like shoot on it. So, like honestly, don't get so like caught up in like six point five K. But if we crop it, like, just shoot the film. <laughs> Make it as easy as possible for you now. Don't worry about like all this crazy like technical crap. Mm-hmm. If it looks nice on camera. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Yeah. And that's not the, the greatest like thing for some people to hear, but like I'm a cinematographer. And I'm saying this because I've shot on the FS5 and on in ten eighty and comparably like people are like, Oh, was that on the red or whatever? And like, no. We didn't do all this crazy shit. We just simplified it and took time with lighting and stuff and that's what made the image. Yeah, it's amazing what I like good lighting with a bad camera will arguably look better than bad lighting with a red <laughs> on 10 trillion K. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so don't worry about all the, the resolution and all that crap because it's going to end up costing you a lot more money for data, you know, storing the data and all that stuff is going to take a lot of time. So for your first film, go easy, make it small and just see what you can do. Yeah, and like having said that, you don't lose image quality. Like when we say this, our image didn't end up looking like it was shot on an iPhone 3. You know, we still have really good looking images. So when you're hearing this, don't kind of immediately reject it. Like you can get great looking images with these things. And like, even when you boil it down to in terms of money, you know, you can get the great image with the Sony FS5, which we shot on. Yeah. And it's a great little camera. And now we have an own the camera, which is hugely beneficial because we didn't have to rent it. But if you are renting, you know, and your cinematographer's like, we need to shoot on the Alexa. Say it's $1,000 a day, right? You're like, well, I can get the Sony FS5 for 75 a day. If they tell you, no, you can't get a good image with that, don't listen to them. And, like, you're saving $900 a day, do it. <laughs> Just do it. Footnote, the Sony FS5 is 250 a day. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's like 75 Someone's like, what? I'll rent it to you for 75 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but... Don't get like too caught up with cameras. If it if here's some like really <laughs> dumb advice that you should follow. If the camera was made in twenty thirteen, it's good enough. <laughs> Seriously. Having said this, we're recording this in twenty eighteen. So if you listen to this in ten years, it's probably different. <laughs> maybe. Maybe we'll see. Um I'm not this is one thing I I always say, I'm not romantic with format. Mm-hmm. If you if all the cameras exploded and all we had was crappy iPhones, mm-hmm. I'd still make films on crappy iPhones. Yeah, totally. Right, so totally. Yeah. Okay, and then just tell them what like lenses we used. So we got an adapter, and through the twenty-four millimeter, the fifty millimeter classic lens, the eighteen to fifty-five, which is a kit lens from the Nikon. It's very cheap, and a lot of people might think it sucks, but I really like the lens, and it worked really nicely on the film. And then we had the 70-300, which I don't think we used once. So the whole film was basically shot on three lenses. 
practically. So, mm. pretty simple. Yeah. So yeah, in terms of gear, like, don't kill yourself. You know, don't freak out if you can't get the latest, greatest stuff. You can make really good films with, you know, still stuff that's very good. This Sony FS5, like, I know we're pimping a lot, but it is a fantastic camera. Oh, yeah. Having said that, you know, if you ask some, like, red nerd, they'll be like, oh, no, that's crap, bro. You got to shoot in 10K, <laughs> you know? Like, don't listen to any of that. Don't well, beat yourself up frankly, if you can't like, these. If someone came up to me now and they're like, I'll shoot your next film, but here, take my red. I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I want your red. I'm good. It's all about practicality. The nice thing about the FS5 is there's a everything on the camera. You can have a audio in the camera. Mm-hmm. There's a monitor on the camera, and all that is part of it. So it's pretty yeah. easy to use. It's very lightweight. Mm-hmm. And it's just really nice slow motion, which we used. Yeah. And the RED camera, you have to have all these accessories. I'm not shitting on the RED camera, mm-hmm. okay, because a lot of people use it. But yeah, I'm saying a for a, a poor filmmaker, you don't need it. Be poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then I guess other than that, like, we just rented that one little, like, four-inch monitor that plugged into the camera. Yeah, the small HD 701. That was, mm-hmm. a, that was a great monitor. We had it on uh, BNC, I think. And then we just ran it along uh, the house wherever we went, and it was very easy for Matt to watch what was mm-hmm. happening. So yeah, it was good. Uh, for directors, purchase. like especially if you're first first time like I was, I would definitely recommend monitor. Um, you know, it's not that like obviously I trust Latif endlessly, just for your own peace of mind to be able to look at something and kind of look it over. I think it's definitely worth it, and it cost us. 200 bucks to rent it for the week, right? Yeah, for the week. Yeah, so, which is basically good. nothing. Yeah. yeah. I recommend, um, especially for first-time filmmakers, getting um, if you're getting a monitor, have uh, the BNC connector. Like if your camera supports it, obviously, because some mm. only have HDMI, but the they can BNC, fall out. Yeah, they'll fall out. <laughs> the BNC connectors they go very uh, long, and the signal is gonna travel, mm-hmm. and they're not gonna like rip out of the camera every time you do something. Yeah. So it's a lot easier to use them. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so yeah, at this point, we've trudged through getting the lights, filled an entire Prius, that's all our gear, got home, set everything up, and then I think the next day was shooting, wasn't it? We didn't have a day buffer in there, because we burned it all, bleaching house. Yeah, yeah, we, I mean, we set, once all the stuff was here, we started setting up some stuff, Mm -hmm. and then on the day of the shoot, which is like the... Literally the, the tiniest bit of pre-production we did last minute like rigging and I brought the camera in and yep. just making sure everything was good to go. Yeah, and like one thing that we learned is like things are gonna happen where they don't go as planned. Like for instance, when you look at the finished film, the way that the house was laid out was just how I lived, you know, that's how my house looked, and initially we were like, oh, we can change everything, and we can make it look, you know, we can rearrange, make it look, you know, more like party stories looked in our heads, and not that it turned out poorly, it turned out really good, but, you know, we lost those three days of pre-production, so we had to start saying, okay, what don't we absolutely need to do? We don't need to rearrange the house. You know, we know how it looks in our heads. No one else knows that. They're going to take this, how it looks in real life at face value, and that's going to be the world that they live in the movie. So right there, cut that out. That probably saves us, what, six, eight hours? Yeah. And then just start trimming things that aren't absolutely necessary if you find yourself in a 
place where you don't have the time you thought you would. Yeah. So like we knew, we obviously need to get the lights up. We tested it, we knew how they had to go. That was absolutely necessary. We had to get the gear yeah. and then we had to, I think that's pretty much it actually. That's all the pre-production we got. Yeah, right, like right before the shoot, that's all we had to do. From then it was, it was really just, um, for me I know, getting like in the head, right headspace, like mentally. Mm-hmm. Because there was no uh, support crew for me, like as a DP. All I had, had was um, my friend James, who came on as a camera assistant for like three days. Three days out of seven, yeah. So we didn't even have a AC for the entire shoot. Yeah, so I had to pull focus for everything. I had to do all the lighting, and obviously Matt would hunt, uh, run out whenever he had a chance and help me set up mm-hmm. lights. So it was literally me and then Matt as like the actual crew. Yep. And actually, well, and sound. Well. And sound. Yeah, and sound. Yep. Um, but they, they were on top of their stuff. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, pulling focus, this is going to sound really crazy, but I have kind of shitty eyesight. <laughs> I didn't know this until after we shot the movie, by the way. Yeah, I, well, I told Matt after, I was like, yeah, I have kind of shitty eyesight, and I didn't wear glasses. For, like, <laughs> he does now. I do now, but, like, for, well, if you see them in the video episodes of the podcast, I wear glasses, but sometimes... You know, I, I overjudge how uh, good I am, so I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I don't need glasses, but the camera had peaking, <laughs> so... Yeah, it helped a lot. Yeah, 90% of it wasn't focused, but some of it was a little like, uh-oh. Yeah, there was one or two things we when we got to the edit, it was like, that was a good take, but it's a little out of focus. I yeah. mean, we, we worked around it, it wasn't the, the end of the world, but yeah, like, when you're running with that minimal crew, you're going to experience those kinds of things, and like, I think this is a good a good time to talk about like the different jobs you do on set when you're doing a micro budget film so like for instance I'm the I wrote party stories directed it produced it I was also crafty which oh it was brutal man <laughs> like having to go to Costco and spend hours cooking food for people every day chili yeah we had a lot of chili it was I'll, vegan too right it was vegan because we had one vegan yeah uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you the chili recipe because it's actually really great for film sets. We'll get into that in the production episode. But, yeah, so I was writer, director, producer, crafty. I helped out with, I helped out with AD. Um, I helped out with grip and gaffering. And <laughs> I drove everywhere. I was the only driver even though we didn't have a driver. Yeah. So, like, right there, I think that's eight or nine jobs. And, like... In an ideal world, I'd be doing writing and directing, maybe producing, you know what I mean? But we don't have the money for any of the people to do those other things, so I had to do them. And like on that same coin, Latif, like, you produced cinematography, edited, grip, gaffer, I guess AC focus pulver, <laughs> like, color, correction. color correction, like right there, that's eight jobs as well. You know what's funny? Mm. Because I work in a recording studio as well. Initially, I was going to do the post-sound. Yeah. And then after I did the edit for like three months, Matt's like, all right, post-sound. I was like, I can't do the post-sound, man. Yeah, which is pretty reasonable. <laughs> like, in that sense, we bit off more than we could chew because we had been working. We started, I pitched this idea to Latif in May. We worked straight through till January in development pre-production. Then we shot for two weeks and edited until June? Yeah. So, like, for, call it 13 months, we're working nonstop. And then, yeah, it's like, all right, post-sound time. And when the chief's like, I don't know if I can do it, I'm like, 
That's fair. That's totally fair. And then I still did the color correction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just knew, like, I think this is, like, a big deal, like, being self-aware and knowing what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I tend to, like, overdo things sometimes, but I know when I've gone too far. And I think Matt mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I think Matt's the only person I've met who can do a lot of things and not, like, have an overload. It's hard at times. Like, he can, do he it. can say it and then do it, which actually surprises me. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, yeah, I'll do it, and then they freak out later. <laughs> but Matt's never done that yet, but... <laughs> Maybe on the next film, I'll have a total meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same for me. Like, uh, I'll take a lot on, but I can generally do most of it. So, between me and Matt, we get a lot done together. Yeah. And um, I had one more. Right in end of February, like, during editing, I went through, like, a bad breakup. Yeah. It's like it was a five-year relationship. And yeah. then the next week, I was like, really time for editing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. That was a tough, that was a tough uh, few uh, months as well. Yeah, so. yeah. life gets in the way sometimes. And, like, even take, um, we're jumping ahead to post-production a little bit here, but take that for an example where Latif says, like, he went through a breakup there, and he's not lying, he did. <laughs> it wasn't great. But this is the whole thing about, like, here, I have herpes, too. Just yeah, keep adding more. Yeah, let me one-up you. <laughs> um... I don't have herpes, by the way. No, no, we're good. Um, so, like, we started this film in May, and I had been engaged since the December before. And I remember, like, we were trying to plan a wedding from May to <laughs> to when we shot, and I was like, we just, we got to put this off a little bit more. I'm sorry, there's just too much going on. Once we shoot, you know, it'll be fine, we'll be in editing, and then we'll plan the wedding. So we shoot. I'm fucking zombified like here's an example we had pre-production and production for 12 days i lost 16 pounds in those 12 days like i was destroyed and then like we get to editing and that's supposed to be the easy phase but life happens right so like latif goes through this breakup i'm trying to plan a wedding we're trying to edit a movie (laughs) like crazy shit's gonna happen and you just gotta keep going i told matt i was like maybe we should just slow down like well i'll keep editing but just slow Mm -hmm. down a bit because yeah, I remember you saying that, and then the strange thing was we didn't slow down. <laughs> yeah, we just like, like maybe well, we, for a week. We met every week, but we, yeah, I don't think until you actually left for your wedding. Um, that's when I had like a week and a half just to, you know, be by myself. Yeah, yeah, totally, and you know, yeah, like life happens. We edited yeah. right up until my wedding. I had a week and a half off for the wedding, which was amazing. We went to Mexico, highly recommend it. And then we got back, and it was like. Okay, time to edit hardcore now. Yeah, like <laughs> then we amped it up because yeah, film needed to get done. But yeah, yeah, I, but by the end of it, like, no regrets. Like we were both pretty happy and. Oh yeah, totally worth it. And like, you're gonna lose some brain cells due to lack of sleep and you know nutrition, <laughs> but it's worth it in the end. I got a lot of sleep it. actually. Did you? Well, in the posts. In post, in post yeah. yeah. Post is way better. Not on set. I think no. me and you stayed up pretty late. On set was horrible. And we'll yeah. get into that next episode because uh, I've got some fun stories about that. Oh, yeah, it's a great stuff. <laughs> but yeah, we're not even in production yet. And you can already tell, like, shit's getting real. Just based off what we've said, you know, before I go the post-production stuff. But at this point, you're right before shooting and things, some things have probably started going wrong. Don't freak out. You can handle them. Tackle the biggest problems first. If your entire casting crew and location gets nanovirus, that's primary. That's number one. Yeah. Deal with that first. Let the set deck 
brush that to the side. Deal mm -hmm. with the big guys, get them out of the way, and then just go down the ladder to the small stuff. Yeah, and for if if you're either a DP or a director, like getting into it, like get into the right headspace, know what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And for all the you know DPs listening or cinematographers, I don't call myself a DP actually. People mm -hmm. always are like, "Are you a DP?" I'm like, "No, nah, I'm just a cinematographer." Mm -hmm. So director of photography like has a whole like branch of people under him. Yeah. And I, it's usually just me. So I'm just like, I'm just a cinematographer. <laughs> One day you'll be a DP. <laughs> I don't know if I want to be a DP. No? Why not? Well, because I want to be a director. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Um, but, yeah, for, for everyone like shooting who's going to be in cinematography, really get in the headspace of knowing, uh, e even in your head, like how things are su supposed to be lit. Because I think... I've seen this a lot on set, like a DP will jump on set and I'll kind of like test it and like put lights in places and kind of really not know what he's doing. Are and you just winging it? Yeah, kind of winging it. And to be fair, like I, I wasn't, I didn't have lighting diagrams and everything like that, mm -hmm. but. But you knew what you were doing. Yeah, because I've, I've mm -hmm. lit in houses so much, I kind of knew how to, you know, shape the light and bounce it in the right directions. And if you have a sense of that, then I think generally you'll be fine in any situation but mm -hmm. as a dp if you haven't taken the time to really study how to light inside a house mm -hmm. properly then you're gonna have you know a lot of trouble gonna have like, you're gonna take time. a lot but like taking a like a fresnel light and pointing it into a room um especially if it's a small room as a dp you're gonna get really weird looking mm -hmm. cinematography because it's gonna be very hard lighting and like in a, I've never been in a house with like spotlights in a living room. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's always about bouncing light and, mm -hmm. and softening things for the scenario. Because if you you know study what you do in your craft, like in any situation, you're just gonna kind of know what to do. Yeah. So get on top of your shit as a DP before you shoot, because you're gonna freak out if you don't. Yeah, and on the same note, like uh, from the director side, it's the last thing I'll say, and then we'll go into the production episode. But. Um, in the days of pre-production that we lost, that was my time where I was like, you know, okay, we'll do, you know, some shot lists, maybe a couple storyboards. And as we've talked about many times, that didn't happen because everyone got sick. But it worked out. And I think, like, looking back at it, why it worked out was because Latif and I had talked so much about the film beforehand, how we wanted it to look the very naturalized style. So like going into a shot didn't have, or going into shooting, we didn't have any <laughs> shot lists, no. any storyboards, but we talked about it so much that we could say, okay, we're shooting the living room scene. It'd be like, okay, what angles do we want? And you know, even coming from a first time director, it'd be like, okay, well we need our wide shot. And then, you know, this guy's got a lot to say in that scene. So let's get some coverage of him. Yeah. And then if someone had a cool idea, we'd throw that in. But having talked about it so much, we just kind of, we were able to piece it together without having those, you know, physical documents saying, get your wide, get your close-up, get this angle and that angle. We knew the project inside and out to a degree where that worked. Having said that, if you're a first-time director, I wouldn't go that route if you can avoid it. You know, we just didn't have the time um, before pre-production we're working full-time jobs you know we're still trying to do everything involved with film and like i said before if you run out of time you gotta you know let the things that are least important go by the wayside and these happen to fall into that category this time it worked out for us but 
to anyone listening, I'd say probably plan it out a little bit, get a little something in writing. Yeah. Um, luckily, our script supervisor was fantastic as well. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about her more in the production episode, but she saved us on a couple shots. Yeah, and our first AD was really on point too. Yes, he was fantastic. So yeah, we'll get all, into all that in the production episode. So we'll leave that. This is the end of pre-production. If you happen to be the last day of pre-production in your first micro-budget film and you're listening to this, good luck. Because it's probably been crazy so far, but it's about to get so much crazier than you could ever imagine. Yeah. In an awesome way. Yeah. And yeah, good luck. You're going to do awesome. It's going to be fucking awesome. Yeah, we'll watch your film and we'll uh, let you know what we think. We'll let you know what's awesome. <laughs> Alright guys, we'll see you later. Okay.